0: This is the Hockey News Podcast.
1: Hello everybody, the Hockey News Podcast is back. It's Matt Larkin here with Ken Campbell to my left, Ryan Kennedy to my right, and it's one of my favorite podcasts of the year because we're getting into our playoff preview series predictions. We're going to start with the East, but before we get to... series. We have some coaching to discuss and more specifically the lack thereof in certain cities because we had Black Sunday. The regular season ended on Saturday this year. We had a bunch of firings on Sunday. Uh, And I think the team that's obviously moving the quickest is the Florida Panthers. Already Bob Bugner out and Joel Quenville announced as a Monday morning the new head coach of the Florida Panthers. Pretty exciting news. I personally did not see it coming until these final few days. So the main question I think to ask is, you know, this is a team that's perpetually underachieved in the Alexander Barkov era, if we want to call it that. Is Quenville the man to finally turn this thing around? Well, if he can teach them to almost pretend to like playing defense,
2: maybe he can do it. Um, you know, I, I think this is I think he is he is a really good hire for this team. Because I think part of the problem in Florida is there's very little accountability. Um and, and the accountability with all due respect to the fan base, isn't there, you know? I mean, and so the accountability has to come from within. So it has to come from your coach. And I think that for too long, they've had too many guys who are just there and not really more interested in their own achievements than than team team achievements. And I think Quenville's a really good guy that'll be able to come in and fix that. Um, What I like about Joel Quenville is I don't, I don't think, in my, in my personal opinion, there is not a coach in the NHL that is better at knowing who's going and who's not in, in, a, in a particular game, in a particular situation. And so if he's going to have to sit, guys, because they're not going and, pl- and play, more, play other guys more, uh, then he's going to do that. I mean, this is a team that had five guys who had career seasons this year. There is absolutely no excuse other than Goal the team. fact that their goaltending wasn't very right. good. But there's, th- th- I mean, they should have been way better than they were. Absolutely. And I think a lot of it's accountability, and I think Joel Quimble will bring that. I think the other thing
0: he might bring is Artemi Panarin.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah.
0: Which
2: they don't need. They need Sergei Bobrovsky. I don't think they need no, Artemi Panarin. Well, yeah.
0: Package deal. Package deal. And I would say every team needs Artemi Panarin. <laughs> I think
2: they need Jacob Truba. That's what they need. Yeah, well, they I, need yeah. defensemen.
0: They need defensemen. I yeah. bet you're going to see a continued maturation of Ekblad, Matheson, guys like that.
2: You are. You are. Are you, you sure so? of that? Are you sure of that? I think so. i, I it, it I'm not. I, I don't know well that. Here. I see. To me, that's not a given. Look for, at Victor that. Hedman's Ekblad's going to get better. Bad. That that Mike Matheson's going to get better. I, I, I don't I know. Well, uh, Help permitting, I think Victor Hedman. A lot of people forget how long it took Victor Hedman to mature into mm-hmm. what he is. But Victor Hedman didn't have multiple concussions. And, and, and I don't know, and I mean, that's a question that's got to be asked, guys, yeah. about Aaron Ekblad. Yeah. That's That's got to be part of the equation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely absolutely has to be part of the yeah. equation.
0: Either way, if they do get Panarin and Bobrovsky, you would hope that Bobrovsky would bring up the level of goaltending, you know. Mm-hmm. At least, at, even if it was average, even if he had a 9-10, right. say, percentage, right. Right. Florida probably makes the playoffs and, you know, you get a little more offense from Panarin, and and you're right, I mean, the defense, obviously not airtight, but they could be like Toronto, which is a lot more forward-heavy. Defense, there are some good elements, obviously needs a little bit more, and a very experienced coach in Quenville. So I, I, I think the structure he brings and the accountability, totally on board, but I also think... The marquee name, right. Joel yep. Quenville, yep. will yep. help bring things sure. together. Yeah. Sure.
1: yeah, and I agree with that, and I'm glad you hit on that, Ryan, because I think um, Florida may or may not have a culture of shoulder shrugging. When you look at the empty crowds and the fact that it's considered this minor market—I wonder if that gets almost baked into the players' brains on a subconscious level—and you have these. Slow I, don't starts and... yeah. I don't think there's any question at this. I don't think there's any question at this. And now you bring in, you know, the second winningest coach of all time. I believe he's past Al Arbour, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Uh, and someone obviously with multiple Stanley Cup rings, and it just makes the whole operation seem a lot more big time. Mm. Which a is great for the existing players. B it makes it a more appealing market to bring in free agents. I think we will see Artemi Panarin there. Would we'll not be surprised to see Sergey Bobrovsky and I think we've been checking around I know Ken you wrote about this recently that the Panthers all indications are that they're going to be busy and aggressive this summer I think they're changing the way they think Yeah, yeah, because I think they know that this team on paper, we have them going to the playoffs. They have potential there. And I think Quenville's kind of guy, he took over a Chicago team in 08-09 that had a lot of talent on paper as well and was underachieving, and he right. knew how to unlock it. Mm-hmm. And he has his Jonathan Taves in Sasha Barkov. Right. And he has his Patrick Kane in maybe Jonathan Duberdeau, or he will have it in Art- Artemi Panarin. Or he'll have his Artemi Panarin in, in Artemi Art- 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 Panarin. Panarin. Yeah. <laughs> right? So I, I love it for Florida, and I think it sets a new precedent that they're not going to mess around now. And I don't think they're anywhere near done. Yeah, yeah. Improving. Yep. Mm -hmm. So, of course, that wasn't the only team to make a change, the Buffalo Sabres. It was rumored all season long. Phil Housley is out. I feel a little bit bad for him only because, and I've said this on Twitter a lot, uh, this is a team that did progress points-wise from last year. But I think what happened was they were so good, so early, that the fan base's expectations exploded. And it made the late season slump seem so much worse. When I still think they made some progress... At the same time, you're wasting years of Jack Eichel. Still, no playoff games for him yet. So Housley's out. The Question is, what direction do you go if you're Jason Botterill in Buffalo now? For well, next coach.
2: Well, this might have been the worst one of the worst collapses in NHL history. After that ten game winning streak, and I, I mean, I I also feel a little bit bad for Phil Housley, and I don't. I think they would have preferred to bring him back, but you can't. You, there was no way you could come back next year with Phil Housley as your coach. After the way this team finished, and I don't know. I'm not in Buffalo's room. I don't know if they were playing to get him fired, but they sure looked like it on a lot of nights. They sure played like a team that was getting its coach fired. And I don't know if, that, if they were actually doing that or if that's on the players, and they've just got to get mentally a lot stronger. Okay? I, I think what they should do and probably will do is bring up Chris Taylor from from Rochester. Mm -hmm. You know, a guy that's a coach. You know, this guy came into the league as a player way back he was a he was a scorer in the ontario hockey league and never really made it as a, as a player played in the american league for a long time was a really good american league player worked for everything he got and is working for everything he's getting now and is really earning his spurs as a coach so i think it's i think i think this is a chance for him to come up and show what he can do with nhl players i i i would just stay within and go with go with chris taylor if i were them
0: yeah. I'm going to offer another suggestion, and it's funny because I'm going to go the opposite when we talk about Los Angeles next, but I think at this point, Buffalo needs to go with a more veteran guy, maybe like an Alan Vino or somebody yeah. else who's out there yeah. because you've already done the rookie head coach, and I know Chris Taylor obviously has a lot of experience at the right. AHL level, right. but right. you've already tried that route and it didn't work. I don't think you can try it again right away, okay. um, yeah. much like... Florida went with a newbie and Bob Bugner, gave him two years, and, I, and I'm, I'm with both of you. I feel a coach should at least get three years, but I understand if Bodrill thought that Housley didn't. Have been yeah, I, I just, goal. I just,
2: I just think the, the fan base would have lost their collective, you know yeah. what? Yeah, if, and, if Phil Housley would have been showing up on game one behind the bench, yeah, and fair yeah. play, yeah. But
0: given that, you know, Florida obviously went with the most experience possible in Quenville. I think that's the route the Sabres should get at this point. Because as you pointed out, you've got guys like Eichel that haven't made the playoffs yet. And they obviously want to. You know, Eichel's a very competitive guy. You want to get some sort of stability for your Eichels, your Dahlins, your middle stats. And I think, you know, Vigneault as an example... Would provide that. Right, that's an
1: interesting pick. And the one thing I can say about Chris Taylor that I think makes him different from Housley as a newbie hire, I call it the John Cooper model. It's when a guy. Comes up with the farm club exactly. Travis yeah. So it's yeah. different than Houseman yeah. being parachuted in from Nashville. Yeah. Whereas Chris Taylor is familiar with a lot, right? Of these with players, a lot of these guys, like yeah. your Alex Nielander, for example. Yeah, yeah. yeah. your Victor Oladins, your you right. know all these guys that have come up through the minors. For right. Them. So yeah. there is sort of a synergy between the players and coach that way. And I know it's never gonna, it's not always gonna work out as amazingly well as it has with John Cooper. Mm-hmm. Right. But I think it's a fair model to look at um, in terms of just good coaching candidates who are young out there. I think a lot of teams have to start looking at Shell and Keith. The success he's had with the Marlies. Mm-hmm. The question is are the Leafs willing to let him go, especially if it's in their division? Well, I think we might I, need him next year. Yeah,
2: <laughs> but I, but but typically a guy like that would have in his contract he would have a window where he can seek yes. and as long as he's moving up in a chain, yeah, they're, they're, it's usually there's in its contract. He would have a a two does. week or one month window to seek other opportunities or to be offered other opportunities, and then and then if it's a move up, they can't. They usually let him go. Mm-hmm. So uh, in LA, it's the end
1: of the Willie Desjardins era.
2: Man, that <laughs> was a, that was wow. Well, the epic Willie no, Desjardins yeah. oh, era. Yeah. You know, wonder yeah. if they'll, they'll
1: have a plaque. They probably Maybe a statue. Maybe a statue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Willie Square, Desjardins Square. I like outside how, Center. I like
2: how people were
0: saying like, "Oh, you know, like Desjardins. He really didn't uh, help." It's like, no, he did the perfect job. Y'all were expecting him to last longer than Game 82. He was like, the like, definition of an interim he, coach. He, he
2: was he was the most sacrificial of sacrificial yeah, lambs.
0: I'm sure he knew that, and yeah. the Kings are probably going to get a very good draft pick out of it. Yep. And now they get first crack at a Completely new culture
2: that that was the plan
1: all along.
0: Uh,
2: it's looking like they're going down the road with Todd McClellan, too, I guess,
1: right? Sounds, yeah, like, it yeah, sounds yeah. like it's, yeah. it's, and I think that is the right, the right uh path for LA because this is a win now team. It is, and, is it? Is well, it? I mean, sorry, I shouldn't say they think they're a win winning now team. some games, Win <laughs> a couple of Drew games now, <laughs> yeah, and I. I I don't think they should be a win down team, but I think as long as you have guys like Drew Doughty and Jeff Carter still there, they have a mentality of believing they can still be competitive, and if you've decided that you're too far down the road, and you want to replace somebody's on the fly, maybe you do go veteran coaching, so it could be Tom McClellan. The other guy I was thinking about, depending on whether he's going to be available, is Bruce Boudreaux, because the Kings are a team that's being deficient yeah. in speed and scoring, and what does Bruce Boudreau bring to every team he comes to, just Crazy run and gun offense, and I think that's the type of style that LA needs to learn how to play. And it'd be interesting to see Drew Doughty unlocked uh, under mm. Bruce Boudreau. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think? Yeah,
2: no, that, that that makes a lot of sense actually. Can he? But can he make them faster? Like, yeah, yeah, they're like, just not fast yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah, I mean, other than Doughty. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you can, you know, and, and I mean, John Stevens tried it at the beginning of the year. Yeah, we're gonna play faster yeah, okay, well, you, you know, we're going to play a faster style. But, but I mean, if, you're if, not you're, fast, if your matter. car doesn't go any faster than 40 miles an hour, you're not going to win any races. <laughs> yeah.
0: And it does sound like Todd McClellan is the leading candidate, but I, for me, I would go the opposite where with the Kings, you are starting to get younger, or at least you should be trying to get younger, and they're going to have some high draft picks this year, probably next year as well. This is where I feel... The Kings can now go to, say, a Scott Sandalin from the University of Minnesota Duluth or Ricard Gronborg from Sweden, Ooh. go completely new, mm-hmm. and who knows? Like, guys like Dowdy and Kopitar, that, they've already won cups you know they they've won it all it might be interesting for them to be in on the ground floor of something completely different and to be able to buy into a new system help the next generation of kings get up to speed and you know they're probably not going to win another cup in the Dowdy kopitar era that's fine um but i think for now la has to be looking forward and to me that's why you should try something new because you have that luxury where you can build something from scratch here and you don't have an impatient fan base.
1: Fair. So, coaching aside, it's time to make some series picks. We're going to start it. in the East, okay? And we're going to start at the top. We're going to start with the team that won 62 games, tying the 95 96 Detroit Red Wings, the Bay Lightning, Aster- asterisk, <laughs> shootouts, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, is this a question of don't overthink it and Tampa's gonna roll? Is there a punter's chance for Columbus? We're gonna start by grading the teams in offense. Mm-hmm. And I think that's pretty easy. Tampa Bay, this is the gold standard in scoring. There's no contest here. They yeah. have all the goals. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Tampa yeah, Bay. No, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah how, how could you not pick Tampa Bay's offense Man. over? Everybody else. And the Lightning game, power play is great. All special teams are great. Well, I was saying before, when's it when? I don't know when the last time, if ever, a team is, and I'm sure it's happened, but a team's been the best, had the best power play and the best penalty kill in the NHL. Yeah.
0: And we've seen in the past that just having a top 10 power play and penalty kill often correlates with a Stanley Cup championship. Right, So right. One and one. Yeah. Especially, it's funny, oh, I crunched yeah. those
1: numbers uh, a couple of years ago for a story, and, and the, the strongest correlator is more penalty kill and power play, mm. for whatever reason, because it shows maybe because you have to just play more of a lockdown game in yeah. the playoffs. Yeah, or uh To me... Defense is interesting because we're hoping, if you're Tampa Bay, that Victor Hedman's going to be okay. It sounds like he's going to be ready. Yeah. Sounds like he's been practicing for, for Game One. But the Lightning, their defense core is not flashy. It's you know it's a pretty veteran group. If you're if you're mixing in a Dan Girardi or an Anton Strallman. um Mikhail Sergachev. Arguably took a bit of a step back this year. They don't rely on him for heavy, heavy minutes at yeah, I, I think Yeah, I think he got better, though, yeah. as,
2: as in the sec, like the third quarter of the season. I think he mm-hmm. came on a little bit.
1: Right, yeah. and Eric Chernak was quite the surprise this year. And he Indeed. adds a physical element that I think Tampa lacks relative to the other top contenders. Yep. Uh, and then Columbus, I mean, you have Seth Jones and Zach Ransky up there, so... It almost feels like this might be one of the areas where the teams are closest, although not on paper. In terms of goals allowed, Tampa Bay near the top of the league as well, right? Right, right, um, right. But what do you think? Is it close? I would say it's close, but I mean, I
0: would still give the edge to Tampa Bay, particularly if Hedman is ready to go game one. Even if he's like eighty percent, the thing that Tampa Bay did this year is scale back his minutes. And it went from basically twenty-five to twenty two and they they had that luxury because you have Ryan McDonough, you have Chernak stepping up, Sergachev, you know, they they have that well rounded decor now. And I think this is where that pays off, where yeah. you don't have to rely on Hedman for twenty five minutes a night against Columbus because he wasn't doing that before, anyways, and you were still winning record tying amounts of games.
2: Yeah, I mean, like, okay, so who's the best defense? Who's who's better? Who's the better defenseman? The defending Norris Trophy winner Hedman or
1: Seth Jones? Or the guy we that I or I picked to win the Norris this year? I think we all did, but didn't happen. Got hurt. at the, start of the year. Who? Right? But oh, Seth, Seth Jones. Jones. Seth Jones. But oh, Seth, Seth
2: Jones. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Still Hedman.
1: But what about the Jones and Romanowski? tandem playing half of every game in the playoffs. Right, right. Yeah. Mm.
2: Yeah. No, I, yeah, yeah. I I'm gonna give it to Tampa because then we've established they've got the best defensemen in the series. Fair enough. So I, that, that's that's gonna be the tipping point for me.
1: And for me the tipping point is is not defensemen, it's forwards who play defense. Exactly. Uh, right the point. Yeah. is one of the best defensive forwards in the entire NHL. Yep. Andre Platt's very good too and so is Anthony Sorelli, led the league in shorthanded goals yeah. so the Lightning have some very defensively conscientious forwards that I think yeah. add to their overall yeah. impact defensively and we all remember last year in the playoffs it was the Braden Point line that shut down the Bergeron line but Marchand and Pasternak Against Boston, yeah, so, yeah, they got
2: blown out in Game One, and then they just they just shut it down for for the, the, the rest of the series, won
1: the next four games, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Goal is going to be very interesting. So we know Andre Vasilevsky is arguably the Vezina Trophy front runner. It's probably going to be an upset if he doesn't get the Vezina. Yeah. But Sergei Bobrovsky played like a, his old Vezina self down the stretch. Played some uh, probably his best hockey of the season, some of the best hockey of his career down the stretch this season. On the other hand. Sergey Bobrovsky's playoff numbers are not that much better than what my numbers would be if I was playing in the playoffs. Right. They're terrible. <laughs> They're terrible. So, do we bet on that small sample size mattering because it is a small sample size? Do we think that Bobrovsky is a bad playoff goalie, or were those bad performances somewhat of an, an anomaly and should we expect this to be a pretty even goaltending matchup? Hmm. No, we,
2: I I think you go again with who's who's the better who's the better goalie. Yeah, and it's Vasilevsky. The only thing I would
0: say is Bobrovsky had eight or nine shutouts this year. He was one of the tops in the league, if not the best. And thinking about it, because I've been down on him because of his postseason play in the past, but then I just realized he's played like three series, two against Sidney Crosby and one against Alex Ovechkin.
2: So the excuse is going to be now that he's playing against Stephen Stamfos and Kim off and everybody else? That is a good point. Yeah, I mean, so when does it stop being about... The other team and about and start being about the goaltender.
0: Next year when he's with Florida and they play Columbus. (laughs) (laughs)
2: That's right. Yeah. I mean, Columbus had the Stanley the guys who won the Stanley Cup two nothing in that first round series, and they were they were goalpost away in overtime from going up three snot. So three snot. (laughs) That's a new expression. (laughs) Three zip. (laughs) I want to hear that in the game. But that's weird, eh? So Columbus. Columbus is going to lose. In my opinion, Columbus is going to lose the Stanley Cup champion again in the first round. Very possible, entirely yeah. possible. Yeah.
1: Uh, to me, the only area where I, I see Columbus having a possible edge is uh, intangibles, and the intangible being just physicality. Because I think Columbus's forward group, you know, your Pierre-Luc Dubois, your Nick Folignos, uh, are a lot, just, they play a heavier game. It's a burly yeah. bunch. Right, and yeah. I think that's the one thing that ta- I've said before. The only thing I thought they didn't address at the trade deadline... Was getting another heavy forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if Columbus can take this series into the trenches and turn lean it on into a on on yeah, advantage. lean on them. Yep. Yeah, I think that's the only advantage that Columbus could have. I
2: think that's the only, if there's anywhere that Tampa's vulnerable in any series they play, whether it's against Columbus, Boston, Washington, mm-hmm. if they're vulnerable, that's where it is. And
0: this being the first round, if you talk to coaches, GMs, anybody that's been around, the first round is the most unpredictable. Yeah. That's where Columbus can strike. They'll be at their freshest, and obviously Tampa will too. But yes, I, I as we saw just last year, Columbus going up two nothing on Washington. Anything, anything can happen in that first round, and I think that's the intangible for the Blue Jackets. Yeah. Saying, yeah, saying I mean, why the, not? Up? This
2: this this thing about their 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 you know their physicality. That's actually a tangible. It's <laughs> not really an intangible. Yeah. And I think Tampa right. again. Has the intangibles? They're, I mean, they're the scariest team. They're the favorite. They've got the swagger. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they just tied the record for uh, for wins in a season. They've got the, they, they've got the top scorer. They've got the MVP. They've got the Vezina Trophy winner. They've got the defending Norris Trophy winner. I mean, I, I think it all goes Tampa's <clears throat> way in that.
1: I, did, I just thought of an actual intangible. note. what Tampa um, didn't play any meaningful games. Down the stretch, and even when we were in Tampa last week, and I was talking to Stephen Stamkos after the game, one of the things he said was, he said the words, "This game meant nothing," and <laughs> uh, every every game meant everything to Columbus down the stretch. So if yes, I really yeah. wanted to play. Like, okay, there's Anto- a good, Anto- yeah, Anto- there's, Anto- one, Anto- there's, there's one, there's one, there's yeah. yeah. one, Columbus is the yeah. hungrier team, but I, I, let's not kid ourselves. Oh God, Tampa's this is going really good at hockey. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. let's yeah. get to our predictions. <laughs> I got the Lightning in five. Me too. Me too. Maybe yeah. a Borowski, good Bobrovsky shows up and steals one game. Right. Hmm? That's all. Yeah, 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 yeah. Lightning and five, That that's... Yeah. I'm on board with that. All right, consensus. Next up, we move on to the Washington Capitals defending Stanley Cup champions, taking on what has to be the cutest, cuddliest story of the entire NHL season. The Carolina Hurricanes, the Storm Surge guys, and I think a team that a lot of people are probably rooting for, if, yeah. say, their teams are eliminated, their own teams that they cheer mm-hmm. for, are out of the playoffs. It's a fun story to get behind. Uh, the question is... Should Carolina be taken seriously, not just because they're a fun team to watch, but do they have the ability to put a scare in Washington? So let's first start with offense. Uh, Carolina did get a lot better as the season progressed, but I think it's pretty clear the Capitals are the the more dangerous team offensively. They just have too many weapons, yeah. Right, they can throw two good lines, they can throw a Backstrom line at you, they can throw a Kuznetsov line, and they're... They're established as a dominant team in the playoffs. We know we can count on those guys to put up big numbers. Ovechkin, yeah. another Rocket Richard, first guy to ever win eight in a row. Am I missing something here? Well, I think the the one area
2: in offense where Carolina Carolina has an edge is in is in generating from the back end.
1: Um, True. You know,
2: with 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 their with Dougie Hamilton had 19 goals this year. You know, so they've got they've got some guys who can. Make things happen from the back end, maybe a little more than Washington does, but yeah. yeah, that's.
0: Otherwise, I mean, it's it's Ovechkin. You take the team with Ovechkin for offense, even though Sebastian Ajo had a career year, mm-hmm. uh, so he had his offensive breakout. Teuvo Teravainen, obviously, right there with him, but I think on balance, you're going to go with the the Caps. For offense, yeah. Almost every time.
1: yeah, there's not much to debate, so we may as well move on to defense. This is where it gets pretty interesting because Carolina, we know they're the possession darlings. They play mm-hmm. a really good lockdown game. They yeah. get the control possession of the puck. I would argue that they probably are the better defensive team, yep. assuming they're going to be getting good goaltending, which we'll get to. Uh, and like you said, Ken, they have that deep blue line. Um, Dougie Hamilton, of course, Brett Pesci, Jacob Slavin, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh I do think they are the better, better defensive team. So I think that's an edge, if, you know, albeit a, a slight edge. But I think you can give it to Carolina.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, I, yeah, for sure. And, and I'm not sure it's a slight edge. I think it's, you know, I mean, I, I, I mean, they're they're full marks for being the better defensive team, in mm. in my opinion. Yeah.
0: And it's also worth noting and, that with Michael Kempney gone. From the Capitals' lineup, that's yeah. really kind of thrown that into flux a bit because he was just John Carlson's partner, and that was a perfect fit. Since that injury, you know, uh, Todd Reardon has really had to move guys around. Carlson has played on both sides of the ice. You know, they're moving Nick Jensen into different places, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens in a seven-game series. I mean, so far it's been fine. They, as we saw the other week, they handled the Lightning. Easily without Kempney in the lineup, but now it's games that matter. And it'll be interesting to see how they can handle um, that top six when they actually get to crunch time.
1: Right. And the question is, are they going to have the ability to put a scare offensively in Washington's defense? I'm not sure, Uh, but... To me, this series is going to come down to goaltending. If Carolina finds a way to steal it, it's going to be because of Peter Mrazek. Right. And I wrote down some of his numbers post-All-Star break. 13-4, 1.83 goals against average, 938 save percentage. As good as any goalie in the league down the stretch. And it's interesting because when Peter Mrazek was first coming up as an Ottawa 67 several years ago, coming up as a Red Wings prospect... I remember we all liked him. We thought he was going to be a very... like I thought he was going to be a star. Great world junior so, goalie for the Czechs. Exactly. And yep. you look at guys like, you know, look how late Tim Thomas bloomed. And and Razick's only in his mid-20s still. So it, it's not impossible to conceive of the idea that he's good. He's a good goalie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the question is, can it last? And can he be better than Braden Holtby? And to me, that's a tough one, too. Because Holtby, he I wasn't outstanding this year but wasn't yeah, it wasn't outstanding last year yeah. then yeah. he yeah. flicked
2: the switch I, I'm that's why I'm saying this is even I'm saying this is even I think those two things balance out I think Mrazik has been like for the full body of work over the year he's been slightly better over the course of the season he's been a lot better lately um but then you counter that with you know hope he's done it yes you know hope start this time last year <laughs> Brayden Holby he wasn't Washington's number one goalie. Yeah,
0: yeah.
2: He got the net back. He won the Stanley Cup. Yeah. That's got to count for something. Totally. I mean, that's why, you know, I mean, that's where Matt Murray comes in. And we're going to talk about him in Pittsburgh, too. I mean, so I, I think I think those two things counterbalance each other. So I think it's going to be even. So I'm not sure that goaltending is going to be a huge factor in this series one way or the other, as long as they're both kind of good enough.
0: Mm. I, I don't know if this is Mrazic's fault as a goaltender, but I just see Alex Ovechkin setting up shop where he always does and not being afraid of Peter Mrazek whatsoever. And I don't know if that's, you know, it's not Peter Mrazek himself, it's just you have to be at a certain level to battle against Alex Ovechkin for a 4-7 to seven game series. Who is
1: this game goalie? Mrazek? He's like,
0: no, I'm going to shoot through him. That's, that's what's going to happen.
1: And the way I put it is even though I agree that theoretically we should treat the matchup as even, it's overtime right now. And it's Game Seven. Who's your goalie? Which one do you want, Braden Albey? Yeah. yeah, in a second. That's that's yeah. me, that's yeah. the in that's the, the test, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, intangibles is interesting, interesting because I don't know if there's any team that has more more fascinating intangibles than the Carolina Hurricanes. Yeah, uh, with the whole Storm Surge culture and they're filling the building again, and they've just been this. I don't know. I think an inspiring hockey story. They they've embraced fun, and I think in a weird way it takes some pressure off these guys and they still have Justin Williams if we're talking intangible yeah if it goes to game seven yeah yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly although he couldn't do it in game sevens for the team
2: that he's facing when he played for them wouldn't it be ironic <laughs> if Justin <laughs> Williams <laughs>
0: yeah. scored
2: in game seven against, against Washington. Washington yeah that would that would that
1: would be the hockey gods going
2: yep. yep me even things up a little bit here there you go yep yeah, yeah. A Little
1: tip of the cap to you. Do you think they storm surge in the playoffs? Because Williams said they were done, but then it was a trick, and then they did another storm surge, right? So, are they gonna? You know what? I'm gonna say
0: those? no storm surge until they either a win the Stanley Cup or b more likely are eliminated from the playoffs, and then yeah. in that elimination game, one final classy storm surge.
2: Yeah, they're not gonna do the storm surge because they're not gonna win it.
1: Oh. oh, hot take. Oh. <laughs> Uh, I guess we're going to get to the series pick now. And it's funny. It's just sort of an intangible before I make the actual prediction. But um, when we were in Tampa, Washington was there a couple weeks ago, and I spoke to Alex Ovechkin for a little while. And one thing I asked him was, uh, now that you have your cup, because you told me a year ago you're not going to worry about milestones until you have your cup. So now you've got your cup is a time to focus on milestones. And what he said was, no, To my almost sort of to my surprise, getting that one cup just made me hungrier to feel it again. Mm. So... I think that actually works in Washington's favor as an intangible as well, because uh, the pressure's off them, but they still have the hunger to recapture that feeling. Well, plus they've seen everything. They've seen everything. Yeah. yeah. Right. They've seen everything. They've lost in every
2: conceivable way, <laughs> and they've won yeah. in every conceivable way. Right. Like now, it's like, oh, we're down two nothing. It's like whoop-de-doo.
1: we've seen that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> you know, like what de do? They were down. They were down in every series last year. Wow, they were. Man. They trailed in every series at one point. Last year, and they came back and won them all. So. They
0: may not be comfortable until they drop the first game. Yeah, exactly. It's like
1: the fighter who needs to get punched in the face. Right. First, because I, I know a lot about fighting. <laughs> uh, so, series pick, I'm going with Capitals and six. I'm going Washington and five. I am also going Washington and five.
0: Right.
1: I think the Storm Surge is going to get a little bit of momentum. It'll fast. be a close five. Yeah. I think it's going to be, I think Carolina is going to be a tough place to play. It won't be the 1951 Stanley Cup final close five. It's, I'll take your yeah, word on okay, it. Okay, yeah, every game mm-hmm. went into overtime. All
2: mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, but it'll be close. There you go. It'll
1: be a close five games. Next up, we have the series that, according to Twitter, was over months ago. It's uh, the Leafs and Bruins, and it's Bruins in three, I think, guys. That's how lopsided the series is on paper. <laughs> the Leafs have no chance. They're the worst team in the NHL, says social media. I don't agree. I'm gonna my my take is gonna be sizzling on this one. But we'll get to that. Uh, first, let's just break down the two teams offensively. And that might be the one area where the Leafs, I would argue, do have the advantage on paper. Boston's got the dominant line, of course. Marjorie, Bergeron, and Pasternak. The only the Leafs point
2: scorer in the series. They well, do. So Boston,
1: we know the Leafs can counter with, you know, of course, Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and John Tavares. And they have the more depth up and down the lineup. Fourth highest scoring team in the NHL and second highest scoring team in the Eastern Conference. So do you feel that the Leafs' depth offensively will shine through in the series? Or do you like the power of the big line?
2: And, I mean, th- their top six is not as bad as people might think. Oh, it's not you know? bad. I mean, it's pretty good. Um, but, but, I mean, if you're giving an edge in, in offense, it's it's got to go to the Leafs because they just have so many weapons in so many places.
0: Yeah, and I think the the big matchup this series will be, does Toronto sick the Tavares line on Bergeron or the Kadri line on Bergeron? And the fact that they have an option this time, I think... Really helps the Maple Leafs something that they obviously didn't have in the past.
2: Either way, either way, the Austin Matthews line is going to be freed up.
0: Exactly, yeah. and I think yeah. you know the fact that you know obviously Nylander had a late start to his season, as we all know, and was still picking up steam. I, I spoke to him a while ago. He said he was kind of hitting the the lulls at different times than other guys because of how yeah. everything was shifted over. So, I think Nylander is going to be a big X factor because he's going to hypothetically have stronger legs than most other guys in this series not having played as many games as everybody else
1: uh defensively again this one i think this one might be pretty clear uh the leafs we know how leaky they are yeah and they did you know they did have travis Dermott out for a while and jake gardner of course down the stretch uh, but no one's going to confuse the Leafs with a with a Jacques Lemaire, New Jersey Devils 1995. Like, mm. this is that's it's clearly their weakness. It was their weakness all yeah. season yeah. long. It was their weakness before the season started. They're leaky. They gave up big time chances. They put a lot of pressure on Freddie Anderson. And we know the Bruins have some of the best defensive forwards in the game, um, but also some pretty good defense. right. I, I, I
2: think I see, I think the thing is in terms of both defensive acumen and team structure, mm. defensively, the Bruins are superior and so you know i mean it's not it's not, clo- it's not close it's
0: no. not close in my opinion the only thing to point out kevin millar or kevin sorry kevin miller yeah. um, <laughs> will not start the series they don't know when he'll be available for the bruins and i know he's not Top two guy well, or anything? Well, yeah,
2: but he—I think he I think, is important. Well, I, I think he's—I think he's a big X factor in this kind of series mm-hmm. because he is the guy who punishes, right? Yeah. And so the, the, the Leafs—I mean, what's been the, what's been the, what's been one of the sort of choruses of the Leafs playoffs over the life is they don't have an answer for that, right? Right. Yeah. When so, teams
1: drag them into it into yeah, a more yeah. Of a grinding, yeah, game. they yeah. don't, they don't, they don't, they
2: don't. They don't respond well to that. Yeah. So, so now, now they don't have to. Yeah. At except, except for that other guy. Except for that other guy. Brandon Carlo, 6'5", yeah. yeah, yeah. monster, and even
1: Charlie McAvoy can <laughs> <five> <laughs> play a physical game. McAvoy too. can hit. Yeah. yeah. Under, yeah. His physical game is underrated oh, yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah. So it seems like that's a pretty clear advantage for thinking. Boston. Oh yeah, and Toronto gives up thirty three shots a game. Yeah. The, you know they give up a lot. <laughs> a lot of pucks go the other team's way. Yeah. Is, I, as I've said before, Toronto entertainment incarnate. Pucks are flying everywhere at both teams' nets, and the games are high scoring. They're crazy. Uh, goal goaltending's is an interesting one because yep. Frederick Anderson for much of the season was arguably better than Tukarask Um But we've seen Freddie go through patches where he implodes. It happened down the stretch this year where he, his, he seemed to struggle with his confidence, was a bit banged up. And of course in the playoffs last year yep. he was pretty inconsistent. On the other hand, so was Tukarask He had some problems against the Leafs as well. well he took a leave of absence for a while this year too. This year too, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I think both goalies are overall... Very good, but both have some question marks associated sure, with sure. them. Mm-hmm. I lean still slightly more toward the more proven guy in Rask, but what about you guys? Uh, yeah. I also
0: lean that way because my big worry is that Anderson hasn't proven that he's out of his slump yet. And, we, we, you know, he does come out of them, but at what point? And I think that's a big X factor because, you know, I, I think the hope in Toronto would have been that he had... One or two solid starts before the regular season ended, and we're not seeing that consistency yet. So when does it come? Does it come in game one or does it come in game four?
2: Yeah, I'm I'm going to be a little more charitable, and I'm going to make it an even an even mm-hmm. on this one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think overall in the the body of work again for the whole year, Anderson was probably better. He was a veteran uh, candidate and, yeah, at one point, and he and he definitely had. Like some way better stretches, right? We, j- and and we jinxed him.
1: and we did a story in the playoff preview magazine, and I called him like almost best in a candidate, and he started just letting in goals like crazy <laughs> as soon as that story came out. So sorry, Freddie. Yeah. but
2: I, I'm gonna I'm gonna give that one even
1: fair. And I always wonder too, uh, bringing in Michael Hutchinson, is that. Is that a vote of non-confidence on Garrett Sparks, or is it a vote of non-confidence on Anderson? Saying, that we need a mm, we need a better safety net for you. And and I was actually discussing that with someone
2: this this weekend, and we asked that very question because what is what is what is what is, what is Freddie Anderson think now? Yeah. Like it's like oh wow well, we really know that we can't win with the other guy. Yeah. Uh. So we're gonna bring in a guy that maybe we can because we've
1: seen what you've done. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. We've seen your body of work. Yeah. Question. Uh, intangibles okay and this is where i think the series gets very interesting because i think you can make an argument either way on one hand boston's in toronto's head they've come back to win a game seven on, on them in 2013 and 2018 and it just seems like they own the leafs in that space playoff time on the other hand i would argue the leafs have just been dumped on in the media and, and uh, fans etc in the last couple months because of their their slump to the point where I, I feel like no one expects them to do a thing, and it's gone so far, I actually think the pressure is off. So who do you think has the mental edge right now?
0: Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I would go Boston because they still have that core of guys that won the Cup right. a few years ago. When you have Chara and Bergeron and Marchand in your in your lineup and in your room, more importantly, you can handle anything.
2: Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that 100%. I think, I think Boston has the intangibles because they've done it and because they've done it. The core has done it. And they've done it against this team and yep. this this franchise, and I think that's a huge mental edge. Do you think my my and and, back- and the other thing is well, pressure? You talk yeah. about pressure. You think Patrice Bergeron is going to feel pressure? No. Is <laughs> Daniel Char is going to feel pressure? David Krejci is going to feel pressure?
0: Yeah.
2: Brad Marchand pressure? No. Those guys. That's that's a that, and to me that pressure is a non-factor for these guys.
0: Patrice Bergeron holds pressure to a twenty percent Corsi every time he faces <laughs> it. <laughs> nice.
1: nice. I like that. Good nerd joke. <laughs> uh, I wanted to touch quickly on Mike Babcock because he's being as scrutinized as any coach in the league this year with possible clashing with Dubas. And was he clashing with Austin Matthews, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think there is going to be a problem that rears its head in this series or do these troops trust their coach right now? I don't
0: think the answer comes until after this series is completed. Yeah. If, if Toronto loses, then I think... There may be some folks, maybe including Duba, saying, what would you say you do here? Because we're paying you a lot of money, and we're not getting any results different than if, say, Cassidy was our coach, for example. In fact, Cassidy's won a little bit more since this tenure because he beat you last year. And you haven't won a series for us yet.
2: Well, I I think if this is a sweep or a five-game series, and I'm not saying it will be. I think it's going seven. I think it's going the distance and Boston will win again. Mm -hmm. Um, but, But if this one goes four or five and Boston wins you got to start asking those questions, don't what you?
1: What are you paying for? Yeah, I think people are going to scrutinize very closely uh, how Babcock deploys his best players in this series. Because right. he's mm-hmm. al- already got the reputation of not playing his stars nearly as often as other teams play their stars. And if you see in crucial situations, Ron Hainsey getting the minutes that Jake Muzzin's not getting and the Leafs you know, lose in 4 or 5, yeah. I think that the boos are going to get louder. If Frederick
2: Goje and Trevor Moore
1: are factors in this series... <laughs> Right, exactly. Fair. Uh, So, series prediction time, okay? And this is where I'm going to just get sizzling with my take, okay? I know everything tells us the Bruins should win this series. They're the better team, they've owned the Leafs mentally, the Leafs have been terrible down the stretch, and I'm just going to throw that out the window for some reason, uh, because A, uh, I think the pressure is off the Leafs, because people have just been on them so hard expecting them to fail, Uh, and B, They have the blueprint to beat Boston. They showed it last year. They were down 3-1 in that series, and they started playing with frantic speed, almost a cowboy style, and that overwhelmed the Bruins. They stopped trying to play Boston's grinding game, and they realized, no, who we are is a crazy team that plays run and gun, and we give up a lot of chances, and we generate even more chances. And the minute they remembered who they were, they just surged, and they beat Boston a couple games in a row, and they were leading in the third period of Game 7. And then they added John Tavares to that team. Mm -hmm. So I think that they're going to catch Boston off guard. I think Boston, like you said, feels no pressure to the point where I almost think the Bruins are going to be overconfident, not expecting much pushback, and the Leafs are going to surprise the Bruins. Leafs in six. Uh.
2: Yeah, that's not sizzling. If you'd said Leafs in four, it might have been, or five. Well, it's sizzling because
1: I think I'm the only person picking the Leafs. Like, Twitter just just tried to murder me after I put that
2: out there, so... Yeah, that never happens to me, so I wouldn't know yeah, what that is. Yeah. Means. Really. yeah. <laughs> I'm going
1: Boston at seven.
0: Uh, yeah, I'm gonna say Boston six.
1: Yeah. In the Metro Division, we have what I think is gonna be the closest series and best series of the first round in either conference. The New York Islanders, the most shocking team of the season, taking on the seasoned Pittsburgh Penguins. I'm excited for this one. I think it's going to be dead Mm -hmm. even. I'm jacked up for this one, too. I'm very Mm -hmm. jacked up. Uh, So let's get into the various categories. Tail of the tape. Let's start with offense. And, you know, the Islanders hallmark under Barry Trotz's defense, but offense not so much. Matt Barzell progressed a lot this season. The Penguins are the Penguins. Am I missing anything here, or is this a pretty easy category to call?
0: I feel this is a pretty easy Pittsburgh win Um, yeah Yeah. yeah, you know like Anders Lee took a step back this year in terms of production you know they they didn't have a lot of guys with high end goal scoring ability at at least they didn't come through with that ability this year whereas Pittsburgh and, and this is kind of my theory for the whole series it's like Crosby and Malkin Oh, and also and Jake, Jake Gensel, Gensel turning into a 40 playoff sparring. Superman yeah. as he does every time. And
2: you know, there's that Phil Kessel guy. And there's too. also Phil Kessel. Yeah. And that Chris Latang guy. I think that this 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 offense is like the you know, that it's like a David and Goliath thing almost, right? Like it's like you've got this this vaunted offense of you know, of these guys who have these Hall of Fame credentials. And then you've got these 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 guys that actually are sneaky good, you know? Mm-hmm. And they're 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 a little underrated, like Brock Nelson. Josh Bailey, I think, is hugely underrated. Casey Zazikas, yeah, yeah, a good goal scoring yeah. season. Yeah, there. exactly. Mm-hmm. So so I think you've got you've got like the the, the shiny bobble against kind of the, the, the scrappy underdog, but mm-hmm. still the shiny bobble kind of you know you've gotta give it to Pittsburgh, yeah,
1: offensively, yeah. no question. Yeah. Uh, defensively, I mean the Islanders were the best defensive team in the NHL. They were the worst okay. last year, the best this year, yeah. and they—I think they do it. It's not like they have that bona fide Norris Trophy, twenty-eight minutes a night in the playoffs type of defenseman, but they have mm. a sturdy group. Uh, I'm I'm a big Ryan Pulock fan personally, and I think that that the forward group they play a very physical and dogged and aggressive game. So uh, to me, it's the sum of the parts that creates a really yeah. good defensive team. Yeah, but. What do you think? And the trot, the Barry Trotz factor in terms of yeah. team defense, yeah.
0: Yeah, the structure is there. You have to give the edge to the Islanders. And, I mean, with Pittsburgh, it's like, man, like, I did not like what they did with their defense this year. You know, like, yeah. bringing in yeah. Jack Johnson and Eric Goodbranson in the year, you know, 2019, it just seems like the wrong way to go. And I know they needed bodies, but... It it, it might not impact them in this first series, but I think it's going to hurt them sooner than later that they're not as mobile and responsible as they once were. But every
2: every year, by the time that Pittsburgh Penguins win the Stanley Cup, it's just like... It's you know they're put together with ball and you know wire you know balls of string and right, wire right. And, you know so that's going to happen they're they that's a given they're going to wear down for sure yeah um but like I don't think it's quite as big a gap as it is you know for the for for Pittsburgh on offense but I think it's a fairly big gap mm-hmm. I mean the, the you know the the Pittsburgh also gives up thirty three shots a game they
1: give up a lot of shots right. Yeah. And to me, it's a transition to the next topic, which is goaltending. And I think the glass-half-empty view of the Islanders is that this team is not as good defensively as it appeared to be. And the defensive efficiencies were masked by the best goaltending overall between two guys, Robin Laner and Thomas Grice, in the entire league. Mm -hmm. I think you put them together. I mean, Jennings Trophy, you put them together, that's a Vezina Trophy-winning goaltender. Uh, but my big question, okay, so let's say we're going to get great performances from Lehner and Grice and you know, they've been transformed under Mitch Korn. I believe in all of that. Mm-hmm. But I've said this for years, I never like uh, teams' chances to go deep in the playoffs when they're in a platoon situation because it changes the mentality of each goalie. And plenty of goalies have told me this too because I did a story on it a few years ago. I think it was I was talking to John Gibson and Frederick Anderson at the time. And when you're constantly looking over your shoulder, if you're, let's say you're Robin Lehner, you get the call in game one, you give up two goals in the first period of game one, what are you doing? Looking over to the bench already thinking, oh, well, we have another guy who's been just as good as me. Is, is it Thomas Grice time already? Young man. Young man. Yes. Um, there was a time in
2: New York Islanders history
1: <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> when
2: they had two goalies. One was named Billy Smith. The other was named Chico Resch. And they platooned through the regular season. Regular season. And they platooned through the regular season. And Billy Smith would never win the Vezina Trophy. And he'd never pile up these great big numbers because he'd never get enough starts. Then bam! Playoffs. Number one. Took him to four Stanley
1: Cups. Yeah. But here's the problem. I can't buy your... I'm not did, buying did, what you're selling, Did Matt Twitter Morgan. exist in, in, yeah. the, in 1980, 1981, 1982? Yeah, because that had a big bearing on how I'm just play, telling you. Well, the wait, pressure, the scrutinizing, yeah, yeah, the yeah. questions <laughs> after the game. But here's the I'm problem. I'm not buying what
0: you're selling. Here's the problem. <laughs> Which one of them is Billy Smith?
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> you got to figure that out.
2: i got to think Robin Leonard. I think it's Robin Leonard. He's yeah, got the yeah I think Robin Leonard's the guy,
0: right? Yeah. He's, he's, got yeah, the he's, got the, he's got the same personality yeah. as Billy yeah, Smith. He's got, he's got yeah, the but, fire. I mean, you're talking about guys yeah. with identical stats.
1: Yeah. yeah, like freakishly similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like even with
0: yeah. shutouts. Like, you can't even yeah. say, like, oh, one of them played worst competition or whatever. Like, they had the same amount of shutouts and everything, right, too. Right,
1: right, yeah. yeah. So do you still give Islanders goalie advantage over <laughs> Matt Murray, two-time Stanley Cup winner? Or, I don't know.
0: I mean, I'm going to go with Matt Murray because Matt Murray knows, he knows he's the starter. And I mean, there is he is a little frail, as we know. Uh, so I mean if he gets hurt then they're toast because Casey DeSmith is the answer now, not Fleury or Murray as it was, you know, in, in past years. But Matt Murray knows he can win a Stanley Cup. He's actually more surprised when he doesn't win a Stanley Cup. <laughs> if we go on, if we go on like his career yeah. average, yeah. there's more years where he has won the Stanley Cup than not. He's batting 667 in Stanley Cups. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I'm going to go with him because uh, he yeah. he just expects to win the Stanley
2: yeah, Cup. Yeah, I'm I'm again going to bail and make this even because of the two factors that yeah.
1: clash and cancel each other out and that's fair and I do think it's going to be a very even series um, mm. so that's, I agree with you there uh, intangibles this is interesting because the Islanders have had this underdog mentality yeah. all season long yeah. it's worked very well and they're coached now by the guy who finally conquered the Penguins last year in Barry Trotz so that's, that's a nice little edge and obviously Islanders home crowds have been very rowdy this year that's going to be a nice little edge but the Penguins have the huge experience advantage over yeah. the Islanders. So yeah. I personally still give the Penguins a slight edge as you know, yeah. Sidney Crosby's not going to be scared of a tough crowd and, you know on the road against the Islanders. No. He's seen everything, yeah. right? Yeah, so yeah. is Malkin so I I still give the intangible edge slightly to the Penguins. Mm. I would give slight intangible edge to the
0: Islanders simply because this seems like such an inspired season for them, and the fact that they're going to start their home games at Nassau Coliseum, I think, is kind of a fun, like old school, you know, ghosts of dynasties past thing where they can draw on that. And we know they can draw on the "nobody believed in us" card, the post Tavares card, if you will. So, I, I think in terms of intangibles, they've got a lot going for them.
2: Yeah, and I, th- you know, I I don't know that, you know that. Reality is going to hit with this team at some point, um, but it—if it does, it usually doesn't in the first round. It usually mm. does, you know, when you start going to the conference final, maybe the Stanley Cup final. It 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 smacks you right in the face. But in the first round, a lot of times you can you can still get by on that that whole gumption thing. Why you know? not so, us? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So
1: I, I'm I'm going to go with the Islanders for the intangibles. And I think gumption's key because the Islanders know they can play a heavier game than Pittsburgh, and that's what beat Pittsburgh last year in the playoffs. The Capitals could match their skill, but with guys like Tom Wilson, they could play that bullying game, and that's sort of the book, I think, on Pittsburgh, which is not the biggest team. It's one of the smaller teams. Last time I checked the numbers, especially at forward. So I think if the Islanders literally flex their muscles, that gives them a good chance. But very, very close series. Time to make the prediction. I think it's going to be the closest series of all. Penguins in seven.
0: Mm. I'm going to say Penguins in six.
1: I'm going to say Islanders in seven, and
2: and Mm. it's going to be the home ice. It's going to be a homer. Ah. I I think it's going to be a homer series, and
1: they've got the extra game at home. So I, I think it's the Islanders in seven. Well, that's it for the Eastern Conference playoff previews, and coming right up in the next 24 hours, we will bust out the Western Conference playoff previews. Round one.